0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Koinonia Church Message Library. Our hope is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We are confident that God's word is living and active and is relevant for us today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. This moment is making extremely clear to me that whatever that countdown says doesn't even matter. Like, it could be at one second and somebody's going across to see, start a new conversation. Yeah, exactly. Good morning. Welcome to Koinonia. My name is Nick, and I'm uh, the youth pastor here. So if we, ha- we haven't met, it is, uh, wow, great. Thank you. That's encouraging. Um, we haven't even met before. That was very encouraging. Got it. Amazing. Well, I want to welcome you. Um, I'm excited to share with you the message this morning. And this morning I'm going to be speaking on peace. But before I do that, I need to know, by a show of hands, if anyone actually likes pistachio salad. Okay. Okay. So, not really. Got it. Okay. Seriously, it was so bad. It was in every... Whatever. It's out now, and I'm clean. So this morning, I'm, I'm speaking about peace. And I'm curious if you have ever searched for or hoped for peace. We, we do. We long for our hearts and our minds and our lives and our families to be peaceful. We want to be at peace. And if I asked you, you know, we're, we're at church. If I ask you, where do you go for peace? What is the Sunday school answer? Yes. We receive our peace from Jesus. But I'm curious uh, if we actually know what that even means. Because we know that we receive our peace from Jesus. But why don't we feel peaceful? (laughs) If we know the answer, which is, yes, our peace comes from Jesus, then why don't we feel at peace? And I think part of the reason that I've come to determine for myself is that when I'm searching for peace, I'm actually searching for the wrong thing. I'm actually not defining peace quite right. How would you define the word peace? Is it the absence of conflict or the absence of pain or the absence of confusion? Is it when everything just like, everything feels good? And so now, I'm at peace. Uh, Maybe. maybe. But I wonder if the reason that we do not always feel peaceful is because we're trying to remove all of the things that take away our peace. Because we we don't feel peaceful, because we're trying to remove everything that takes away our peace. We're searching for the absence of something. We're searching for the absence of pain or conflict or whatever instead of searching for the presence of something because true peace comes from Jesus. We established that, but it comes from the Jesus being present with us and it comes from something that Jesus has already done for us. And that is what we're going to explore today. If you've been following along with our, our Advent series, um, we, I've been working through the, the themes of Advent, and, and this week marks the beginning of the week on peace. And today's video was the Bible Project's word study on peace. Did, did anybody watch that today yet? Or have you seen that, that video before? It's, it's so awesome. And they go into the, they do a word study on the Hebrew word for peace. And I'm not going to do that today. But what I will summarize from their hard work is that biblical peace is not only about the absence of conflict, but it's about the presence of wholeness or completion or restoration. And so this morning, as I speak about peace, yes, I do mean the absence of conflict. But on an even deeper level, even when conflict is still present, if Jesus is our peace, then we can have complete wholeness. We can be completely restored, both with God and... The hardest part, with each other, with each other. So biblical peace is complete restoration. Have you ever wondered why peace is a Christmassy word? Because like Christmas time is a little bit peaceful, maybe on Christmas morning for like one minute before your kids wake up, (laughs) or for the one minute after they open their gift and they're like, okay, what's next? But peace is introduced to us by the prophet Isaiah when we think about Christmas. In Isaiah chapter 9, he's speaking about the one who would come to be the Messiah, to to save Israel and to liberate this people. And so in his his, um, prophetic message about who this child will be, this is what he says. Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and prince of peace. Jesus, as the son of God, has the authority to bring peace. And he is the only one who has that authority. And therefore, he is the only one that we can receive complete restoration from. Now, we come to Luke chapter 2 at the beginning of the, the Christmas story, and there's this scene with, with shepherds, and they're out in the fields, and they're doing, their, they're doing their thing, and an angel appears to give an announcement. And if you from, are familiar with the Christmas story, you, you know the announcement. He says, "'Today in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord has been born, and this will be assigned to you. You will find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger.'" And then, as if one angel wasn't enough, a zillion more had to come to deliver the next part of the message. I assume one angel would be enough for you, but these shepherds, whatever, God thought different. Then the multitude of heavenly hosts comes, and they say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the angels are coming to announce the one that Isaiah spoke about, who would be the Prince of Peace. That is this little baby that was born in a manger, and his name is Jesus. I like this repeating thing. This really does feel a bit like Sunday school. This is why Christm- um, peace is a Christmassy word. Not because Christmas is necessarily peaceful, but because Christmas marks the beginning of Jesus coming to begin his work to establish peace between God in us. Remember, not the absence of conflict, but the, the presence of completeness, of restoration, of wholeness. And Jesus' peace with God is available to everybody, and it is only experienced by those who will receive it. We must be active recipients of the peace of God. We can't, we can't be passive, we must be active recipients of the peace of God. Now let's, if you would join me, we're going to zoom in a little bit to one scripture and look at, okay, how does this biblical peace, this idea of restoration, how does it outwork itself between us and God and then us and one another? So if you would turn to Ephesians chapter two with me and we will start at verse 14. I also acknowledge that this has probably been very distracting for some of you this whole time. Um, This is a table, And we will, in fact, be doing communion together, because it's not a spoiler. You have the little thing, okay? So that's what I'm going to do with this. So if you've been wondering the whole time, now you know. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't say it sooner. Okay, so Ephesians 2, and I'm going to begin at verse 14. But before I begin reading, we need to just establish a little bit of what's going on here. Because we're just going to, like, plunk down into the middle of a letter that Paul wrote to a church. Have you ever been in line at, like, Tim Hortons or somewhere? And you sit and you hear this lady, and she's on her phone, and she's like in the deepest conversation you could ever imagine. And she's talking about her, her grandson, and, and he's just really, you know, struggling. But you only hear one side of the conversation. And so then you're waiting in line, and you're like, what on earth has happened? Because you don't hear the other side. That's kind of like what happens when we plunk into one of the letters, in, in Paul, because he's writing to a church. We're, we're opening up his mail and we're reading it. So let me just fill in some of the gaps of the conversation that we don't have. So, Paul is, is writing to a church um, in Ephesus. And one of the things that he is addressing in this letter is the relationship between the Jewish people and everybody else the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And Paul's claim was that through the work of Jesus' death, and resurrection, that the Jews and Gentiles could not only get along, but become one group of people in Christ. This is, this is super significant, because Jews did not associate with Gentiles. They, for, for years and years and years, the, the laws that they followed sometimes didn't even permit them to be together, or to eat the same food, or to, to go over to their houses. Like, this is a significant... Divide. Even in the Jewish temple, there was this wall that was a boundary for Gentiles. So they could come into the, the temple, and then once they got to a specific point, they, they couldn't go any further. They were not allowed. So you could imagine the Jews who are reading this are like, seriously? You, we have to get along with them? And the Gentiles are like, seriously? We, for real? There was such a deep divide, yet Paul's claim was that if Jew and Gentile surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord. Then they both died. And what was brought back to life was neither Jew nor Gentile, but Christian. One who is finding their identity in Christ. And if we have our identity in Christ, then we are at peace with God. And so this is what Paul is, is, um, is addressing here in his letter. And, and so I recognize that today most of us are, I think, Gentiles here. So your, your application of these principles may not be with your Jewish brother or sister, but it may just be with your regular brother or sister. <laughs> there may be some hostility. There may be a dividing wall. And Paul's claim is that in Christ, that wall no longer exists. And this is a significant claim. So let me read a, a portion of this and then we'll, we'll look at it together. So starting at verse 14, uh, Paul's speaking about Jesus. He says, He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So, making peace, and that might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a significant message to a group of people who is experiencing extreme hostility towards one another. We're going to zoom in on a couple of these verses here and, and see, okay, God, in light of what you are speaking to this church in Ephesus and, and how this is addressing their problems, what, what then are you saying to us today? So let's look at verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one— So he's speaking here about Jew and Gentile, when he says us, have both become one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So we need to understand here that that Jesus, in his flesh, broken on the cross, takes down a dividing wall in two places. First, between us and God. Because if... If we go back and look at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, we see where the wall between God and humanity was, was put up. When humans decided that it was best for us to define what was good and what was evil for ourselves, and we ignored and, and disobeyed the voice and word of God, that, that, that became the, the, the sin. That became the thing that separated humanity from God. And then from Genesis and we keep reading, we see the implications of that dividing wall. And we see the way that, that God made space to have peace with his people, which I'll address in verse 15. But eventually, Jesus, as the the true and perfect human, offers himself as a sacrifice on the cross. And this is this is what Paul's talking about in his flesh. It was in Jesus' sacrificial act of offering himself and the pouring out of his blood that our sin would be paid for. And because our sin is paid for, that then removes that dividing wall of hostility between us and God. It is only through Jesus that we can have peace, complete restoration with God the Father. It's only through Jesus and through Jesus, he opens up a way for us to also have peace with each other. And I, the, I like specifically Paul's use of hostility here. Because I, it's not a word that I use often, but, but I get it. Like, there are times in our lives, maybe even this day, that we have hostility towards another. Somebody cuts you off, boom. Boom. Hostility. Your mom says something a little bit passive aggressive, boom, hostility. Your boss sends you an email at Friday night with some serious correction, hostility. But Paul is saying here that in Jesus, the dividing wall of hostility has been uh, broken down. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about how that's removed later. But Jesus has opened up a way through his sacrificial death for us to have peace with God and then to also begin to have peace with one another. Let's look at verse 15 now. So this, this um, dividing wall is broken down by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. That's a mouthful that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So let's talk about this this mouthful phrase, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. So God, in his love and his desire to be with his people, to have peace with his people, gave Israel the law. And this law, when, when they followed it, allowed a holy God to live in the middle of their presence. The law was the means by which Israel could have a relationship with God. Because we read through the Old Testament that when they were not following that law, it did not go well for them. The, the law was in place so that God could have peace with Israel. But as we keep reading, we recognize like that totally didn't work. <laughs> it, it didn't work. Israel could not keep the law that was required in order to have peace with God. And so in Jesus' death, when he paid for the debt that we owed, now the law is no longer the means by which we have peace with God. It is through the work of Jesus. It's through his death and resurrection that we now have peace with God. But the interesting thing about the law is, Uh, it's pretty helpful. (laughs) Like, when I think about the Ten Commandments, okay, if I'm living at peace with my neighbor, I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to steal his wife or his camel. I'm not going to worship his household idols. So this law is, is no longer the means by which we have peace. That's through Jesus. However, the law does outline for us what it looks like to live at peace with one another. And the beautiful thing about Jesus' death and resurrection is that he pays for that debt, and then in his resurrection, he gives us a new heart. And it's in that new heart that's empowered by the Spirit of God that we actually have the motivation and the empowerment to love the way that Jesus loved. And so this peace comes through Jesus. And, and that is what Paul is communicating here as he speaks about abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. And then he says that he might create, Jesus might create in himself one new man in the place of two. And so this is what I was showing you before, Jew and, and Gentile. And as we surrender our lives to Jesus, those two disappear and one is resurrected with him, which is the Christian, the one who is in Christ. And this is where our identity comes from, and this is the basis of our peace with God and our peace with others. Verse 16. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. Don't you love that phrase, killing hostility? It's so sharp, because hostility kills, but Jesus, in his sacrifice, kills hostility. One commentator that I was I was reading on this passage he said that in Jesus death on the cross comes the destruction of anything that meant disunion. In Jesus death on the cross comes the destruction of anything that means disunion. That's powerful. That is both in our relationship with God and Our relationship with others because the reason that I could have hostility towards you whatever that may be Jesus paid for that reason he paid for that reason that I might have hostility towards you that and and so as I receive that new heart from Jesus he then begins to to work on my desire to be hostile and he begins that to, to replace that desire to be hostile with the desire to seek peace, the desire to seek restoration. And as followers of Jesus, as those of us who have said, Jesus, I give you my life, I surrender myself to you, and you have been given this new heart, then we have the cross as the basis for our restoration, the basis for our unity. This is like, like as close to being a cheat code as you could ask for Seriously, because without the cross, there is no empowerment by the spirit of God for us to be unified. So without Jesus, we could for sure find a way to remove conflict, definitely. I think we could do that. We see that happening around the world. But without Jesus, we will never be able to have complete restoration. We will never be able to have complete restoration with another believer without the power of Jesus' death and resurrection, which is what brings us our peace. Now, if you are seeking peace with somebody who is not a believer, then, like, just to acknowledge, it's going to be different. It's going to feel different than when we seek peace with somebody who's surrendered their life to Jesus, who's operating, their, their baseline is peace with God. Because without peace with God, without complete restoration with God, we cannot have that with one another. Now, this is really easy to like, well, maybe it's easy to read on paper or to hear with your ears. And like way harder to live, right? (laughs) Because once we go out of here, all of our our, uh, human experience will immediately kick in. And we will be reminded of some of the reasons we have to be hostile. And as we're reminded of those reasons, we need to be reminded of the thing that Jesus paid for, of the debt that He paid for, both for ourselves and for others. But I find that sometimes remembering that um, is is not always enough, (laughs) because, like, when I don't have peace with a family member, when you don't have peace with a family member, it makes it really hard to sit down at a family dinner and have actual peace. Maybe conflict isn't present and you're not throwing your cups at each other. But it's, it's underlying. And it's, it's hard to go to family gatherings. And it's hard to speak to the people who we are hostile towards. And I recognize that. I recognize that there are some of us here that have been seeking peace with a friend or a family member for many years. And you, you're like, what, what gives? I have peace with God. Why? Can't we figure this out? And I think that Paul's encouragement in Romans chapter 12 is, is going to be helpful for us. In Romans 12, 18, Paul says, If possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. And the focus here is as much as it depends on you. So, as much as it depends on you, live at peace. With, with everyone. The thing that depends on you is your surrender to Jesus. The thing that depends on you is your ability to be an active recipient of God's peace towards you found in Jesus. And when we do that, with that renewed heart that he gives us, then it's the Holy Spirit's power that helps us walk through the difficulty it's the Holy Spirit's power that helps us show and share the love of Jesus when the person across the table from us, like, is, is not earning it. <laughs> you know what that's like. As long as it depends on you. And it's in these situations that we must remind ourselves of the peace that we have received from God. And then we allow the other party to become an active recipient of the peace of Christ as well. But how do we come to a place where we're willing to make peace with others? Because I recognize that some of you want that and some of you do not. <laughs> I, I mean, that's also me, <laughs> just, just so you know. Um, when I say you from here, usually I'm also talking about me, but it's not that helpful to clarify every time, so I'll just do it this one time. Okay, So You're welcome. So how do we come to a place where we're willing to make peace with others? I must return to what Jesus has forgiven me of. I have to. Because I recognize that the list that I have of people who have hurt me, my name is on just as long a list of people that I have hurt, that I have disappointed, that I have let down, that I have unintentionally hurt. And that's the reality of being a human No matter how hard I try, and I try so hard, (laughs) I cannot live perfectly with those close to me and those around me. And so when I am struggling to make peace, when I'm struggling to seek restoration with another, I need to first remind myself of what Jesus has forgiven me. And it is out of my peace with God that then I am empowered by his spirit to make peace. With others. So, this countdown clock is not on. How much time do I have? Three minutes. (laughs) All right. Great. Thank you for that. Okay. So, we now are going to together actively participate in the peace that we have in Jesus. And this is the gift of communion. And so I've asked a couple people to help me with this. So um, Gabe and and Debbie, could you come up? And mom, could you come up? I didn't ask you. Um, And Nathan, could you also come up? I I didn't ask you. Okay, now I'm seeing I have five minutes. (laughs) So Jesus, you guys can just find a seat, wherever you like, Uh, except for this one. I'm gonna sit there. So, Jesus didn't just make metaphorical peace. He made peace in a way that is very real and very physical. Jesus made peace with God for us through the cross. And that is what communion represents. The the bread that we have represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. And... The juice of the wine represents his blood that was poured out to pay for our sin. And communion is a gift for us to both participate in that reconciliation with God and be reminded of it. And so I've invited you guys here specifically today because each of you represent a unique sphere of my life that I can either be living in hostility towards or peace with. So this is Nathan, who is my boss and supervisor here at work, uh, and many of you who work have one of those. Um, This is my mother-in-law, Debbie. She's incredible. This is my regular mother, (laughs) who is also incredible, and this is Gabe, and Gabe is a friend, and he's a student here in our youth ministry at Koinonia. And so your, your table like this may look different, but this is what my table looks like. And peace with God allows me to live at peace with, with all of you in our various spheres that we, in, in time we experience life together. But that's not always the case. Right now, there's no hostility between us, I'm pretty sure. Um, but there will inevitably come a day when that happens. And maybe you're thinking about somebody who may be around this table for you that you have hostility towards. And I want to turn us to Jesus' words as he institutes, as he uh, tells us about, he institutes the Lord's Supper, which is communion. So Jesus says, I've earnestly, he's with his disciples, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the blood of the new covenant. But, you hate to see that word in a beautiful moment. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Now, Jesus was able to break the bread and serve the cup to all of his disciples, including the one who he knew was going to betray him. If Jesus should have had hostility towards any of those guys around the table, it should have been Judas. Yet his offer for peace, he still made available. And I recognize that as we head into the Christmas season, you're gonna be sitting around a table just like this with friends and family, and you may be at peace with them and you may not. And you may find yourself in Jesus' seat serving a cup to somebody who there is hostility between. And I believe that this, this Christmas, that if that has been your experience in the years past, that Jesus wants to bring his peace there. Not just the absence of conflict, but complete restoration that is only found through the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood. And if you are surrendered to Jesus, and that one who you're experiencing hostility towards is surrendered to Jesus, then you can take of the bread and drink of the cup together. And it is my prayer that through your peace with God, you will begin to experience that kind of restoration with your family. And this is where we need to be active recipients. We need to actively pursue that peace with others. And it is only by the Holy Spirit's power that we can be at peace. And so, so then this is what I can do. I can break this bread and I can say, you know what? I'm gonna let you break your own bread. And I can say, Nathan, this is Jesus' body broken for you so that you may have peace with God and so that I can have peace with you. And then I can take the cup and I can serve my mother-in-law, Debbie, and I can say, Debbie, this is Jesus' blood poured out so that you might have peace with God so that I can have peace with you. And so as you take communion today, as we take it together as a family, thank God for the peace that you have with him. And as we experience the presence of Jesus in this moment, I would encourage you to ask him, Jesus, who. Should I be pursuing peace with? And I bet that you don't even need to pray that prayer because you already know. So let's, let's eat and drink together, and as you do, let's reflect on receiving the peace that comes from God and ask him, "God, who do I need to seek peace with? Let's eat and drink together. You can just Jesus that through you we might have peace with God and in this moment as we actively remember and participate in receiving your death and resurrection we invite you to continue to reveal yourself to us as the prince of peace as the one who has authority for peace to be established and we welcome your peaceful presence into our hearts and God for those who have in their mind somebody that they need to pursue peace with I ask that you by your spirit would empower them would you give them the confidence to walk humbly to seek peace God may our restoration with others flow from our restoration with you thank you Jesus for what you've done We receive it. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart, to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected. Thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, We would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.